Hi, Newcom. This is Carly Pickering representing the Pickering family, which is made up of Neil and Carly Pickering, Andrew, who is 14, Levi is 12, Benjamin is 10, and Lauren is 8. We have been going to Newcom for over 8 years and um, have loved our time there since the beginning. Our kids have been involved in KidsCom and youth group, and I myself actually served as um, children's director and children's ministry for a little over four years. So um, I've had the wonderful experience of not just being part of the community that shows up every Sunday, but also being on staff with um, the amazing staff at Newcom. So we are really missing our time with all of you since March and quarantine and have just loved listening to the podcasts and recently the videos and just getting to see some faces in person. We love you all and hope we get to see you soon. Spirit God, come like a fresh wind into our lives. Move us to action, break down the animosity that ruptures our relationship, and discard language that divides. Spirit, lift the haze that seems to have settled on our souls and breathe new life. As fear overwhelms, infuse us with courage. As death surrounds, saturate us with hope. Where our lives have stagnated, fill our sails with a breeze, moving us into an anticipated future. We pray this in the name of the Father, the risen Son, and the Holy Spirit. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk 3, 17-19 Community Prayer Habakkuk chapter 3 contains a heartfelt prayer for revival. It would have been originally set to music. Habakkuk prayed this beautiful prayer around 600 BC. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Renew them in our day, in our time make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk 3, 1-2 Today we join in a collective prayer of praise and call for revival. O Lord, we have heard of your renown, and we stand in awe of your work. In the midst of us, renew it. In the midst of the city, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God, you came, and your glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of your praise. Your brightness was like the sun. You came forth to save your people, to save your anointed. Through the fig tree does not blossom, nor fruit appear on the vines. The produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, that the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet we will rejoice in the Lord. 
we will exult in the God of our salvation. God, the Lord, is our strength. He makes our feet like hinds feet and makes us tread upon the high places. Habakkuk 3, 1-4, 17-19 Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and shall be forever. Amen. Hey Newcom, this is Brooke. I have just a few announcements for you before we launch into this morning's discussion. First of all, a podcast launch on Wednesday, an interview with new staff member Joseph. Uh, Be sure to check it out if you'd like to learn a little bit more about Joseph and his family in this interview with Russ. It's also available on YouTube. You can find it in the In The Loop email. There's a link there. Second of all, we have some upcoming video services that we hope that you can join us for. So at 10 a.m. on November 1st and the 15th, we will be gathering together online in a video service format to worship together. So be sure to mark your calendars and we look forward to being there with you. Good morning, new community. It is good to have you with us this morning on this week's podcast last week we took a look at the unique book of Nahum. Kevin did an amazing job of nuancing the way that we understand the Old Testament writings and uh, invited us to really reconsider nonviolence in a unique posture that we should have as kingdom people. We are still in our series, Distant Cousins and Weird Uncles, and today we are in the book of Habakkuk. So without further ado, we will jump straight in the year was 1730 a group of students at oxford university led by john and charles wesley would gather regularly to encourage one another in discipleship this group became known as the holy club now to keep themselves accountable to each other they had a set of about 21 different questions that they would use for self-reflection Now, they would personally reflect on the questions and then share their reflections with their group. And the goal was really uh, to be transparent people and out of that transparency have a subsequent accountability. Now, the questions that they asked ranged far and wide across the whole spectrum. For example, when did I last speak to someone else about my faith? Another question was, am I proud, am I self-conscious, self-pitying, or self-justifying? Is there anyone whom I fear, dislike, disown, criticize, hold a resentment toward, or disregard? If so, what am I doing about it? Do I grumble or complain constantly? Is Christ real to me? Now, these are the kinds of questions that I think are a very helpful guide for reflection, and in honesty, can be quite challenging for us to consider. But as I was looking through the list of questions, I was drawn to what questions were not asked. And I even believe that there was one question that should have been on the list, but didn't make the list. And I think this question would have been as relevant in 1730 as it would be for us today. The question is this, is there anything in your life 
that is currently causing you anxiety or a sense of hopelessness? Any fear that currently holds you captive? Now, the reason I think this question would be quite helpful is because in our current situation, we live in a culture of fear. We're a part of an age of avert anxiety. H.P. Lovecraft, I love that name, such a good last name, Lovecraft, that he decides to skip even having a first name. H.P. Lovecraft states this, the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear. And the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown. Now, worry and fear, as been described in our generation, um, is often talked about as the official emotion of our generation, the most pervasive psychological problem of our time. Uh, Barry Glasner makes this statement, we are living in the most fear-mongering time in human history. And into this most stressful and complex world, Habakkuk offers a prophetic hymn of praise. We're allowing the prophets during this season to speak to us, and I think our passage today, which comes from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verses 16 to 19, uh, is intended to speak to us to this topic of anxiety. The text reads this way, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord." I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk 3, 16 through 19. Now, Habakkuk starts off by describing this impending doom, this fear that is on the horizon, and he describes it this way. He says, I hear about it, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Now, what Habakkuk is describing in many ways could be defined as inward stress or inward distress. He's using bodily imagery to describe his tension and his anxiety. And the language he uses uh, is body trembling and rottenness entering his bones. I think if we were to maybe put it into more modern language for us today, we would say something like this, that we are distressed. That some of us are worried sick, emotionally frazzled. That we feel as if we are deeply and greatly troubled. We're easily fatigued. I don't know if you've noticed this recently, but maybe you've, you went out, uh, you got to see some people for the first time in a little while, and you just wear out so quickly. 
easily fatigued, emotionally drained. We are carrying around trauma in our bodies. And this inward distress is revealing itself in physical and emotional breakdown of our bodies. In recent weeks, uh, there have been numerous articles highlighting the rise or the significance of issues in our body related to anxiety and stress. Things like an overwhelming rise in headaches, stomach problems, sleepless nights, sudden and rapid hair loss, broken and cracked teeth from night stress teeth grinding, and a rise in autoimmune disorder flare-ups. The body is keeping account of the stress and the anxiety that we are living with. And when this happens, some people, some of us, default or revert to our default settings. What I mean by that is we shift back into normative ways of dealing with or disregarding the, the, the stress. And one of the default settings is to go hyper-religious. Now, this does not what all of us do, and it might not relate to you in any way at all, but I do know that across our country, it certainly relates. That the reaction of some in the Christian world when facing stress or anxiety or depression is to religion it away. And what I mean by that is uh, we seek to become more legalistic, We avoid religious taboos. We become more observant of religious holidays. We try to get people to say Merry Christmas again. We seek to keep God happy or somehow appease him. We pray more or louder, or if that doesn't work with tongues. We fast. We obsess about the end times. We allow fundamentalism to prevail. All of those things are signs that we are inwardly distressed, and yet trying to revert to a default setting to deal with it. Now Habakkuk goes on to describe his outward distress. In verse 17, he says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. He's describing some bleak, frustrating, overwhelming external circumstances. Now, we could possibly paraphrase these thoughts in more contemporary terms because most of us do not measure our well-being by the number of figs or fruit we're gathering, by how our fields or our flocks are doing. Now, for many of us, it would sound a little bit more like this. Though our world is in the midst of a global pandemic and health concerns abound, though the winter months approach with their glooming darkness, though I lose my job or face mounting debt or my business fails, though the social security fund is depleted and the stock market teeters between a rise and a significant crash, Though I am raising teenagers, or walking into life with junior hires, or have a child in the midst of their terrible twos, though my whole world seems to be coming at me through a screen 
as I work online, study online, teach online, grade online, socialize online, shop online, stress online, obsess online. Though the earth is in the midst of climate instability, while hurricanes increase and fires rage. Though people of color, foreigners, and immigrants, and sexual minorities continue to be marginalized. Though we are in a war of racial divides and have a widening gap between the haves and the have-nots. Though we have a corrupt judicial system and we continue to incarcerate people at higher rates year over year. And though we are in the midst of a political crisis that is full of hyper-partisan politics and we sit in the middle of internal social strife. Jeez. I'm just going to stop there for a second. You understand that we are in some serious outward distress, that we are feeling the effects of all of those things I just mentioned and far more. And for many of us that are feeling that external stress, one of the default settings that we could drift into is to scapegoat. That is a default setting that we often go to is to figure out that the problems at large must be the fault of someone and usually the fault of someone other than myself. And so we fault the other. We fault China. We fault the ACLU. We fault Planned Parenthood, Mexicans, Muslims, the LGBTQ community white supremacists, it's big banks, it's Wall Street, it's ISIS, it's the NRA, it's environmentalists, it's climate change deniers, it's patriarchy, it's the feminists, it's the right, it's the left, it's politics. You get the idea. There is always someone else to blame, someone else to scapegoat. Now, the prophet Habakkuk has this moment in this passage and a moment in the book as a whole That's similar to a lot of the prophets. He has this significant change of heart or perspective. Something happens to Habakkuk between chapters 1 and chapter 3 that gives him this renewed perspective. And again, we see it between verses 16 and 17 that focus on this inward and external stress, and then verses 18 and 19. And I think the big idea, the defining moment in the book is when Habakkuk leans into faith. He says here in verse 17, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. What he's saying is that in spite of the internal distress and the external or outward stress, he will still praise God regardless of the circumstances he will offer praise. And I think the key to that is found in chapter 2 when Habakkuk states, the righteous shall live by his faith. Now, what what Habakkuk is doing is offering this clear moral guidance that even though he's befuddled, even though he's without a completely satisfying explanation, and even though he does not have a clear theological understanding of the times and what's going on, and even though all of this is overwhelming him, he says this, the just shall live by faith. Now, Brian McLaren describes it this way. He says, 
I think a good paraphrase of Habakkuk's message in context would be something like this. If we keep faith and stay faithful, we will survive. Yes, we're in a heap of trouble. But if we keep faith and stay faithful, we will survive. Yes, our trouble is in many ways our own fault. But if we keep faith and stay faithful, we will survive. No, I can't explain why reality is this messy. But if we keep faith and stay faithful, we will survive. So the question that you might be asking yourself is, how does one keep faith and stay faithful? If that's what it takes for us to endure, to overcome, to move past both inward and external stress, what do we do? And I want to suggest just a few ways. The first is this, is to look behind you. The first way to deal with anxiety and stress, to move through it with faith, is to look behind you. See, when it comes to hope in the midst of struggle, God calls us to be a remembering people. If you were to spend 15 seconds even gazing into your past, it would begin to illuminate significant memories of God's faithfulness. Lamentations 3, chapter chapter 3, verse 22 says this, The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Each of us could easily spend time reliving and remembering God's many unique provisions. Now, often those provisions seem to come in the 11th hour and definitely not in our desired timing, but they often arrive at just the right time. God has been so faithful to you, to me, to us, that if we relive and remember those unique provisions, we'll be overwhelmed at his faithfulness. But apart from ourselves, we could easily look even further back and see the faithfulness of God to his people throughout every rebellious generation in history. God continues to rescue his people He leads them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. His loving kindness is always on display and never seen more brightly than when he sent Jesus Christ to light the way for our relationship with God. And this passage in Lamentation says that this loving kindness and and those compassions of God never cease and are described as new every morning. And the reality of that should give us great confidence that each day's mercies, each day's kindness, each day's faithfulness are given specifically for that day. Meaning this, that yesterday's mercies were for yesterday's burdens. Today's mercies are for today's burdens. You have enough for each day. But what it requires is you to engage again with God the next day for that day's mercies. So our first step is to look behind. Our second step is to look in front of us. Hebrews 11.1 states this, Now faith is the assurance of things 
hoped for. Now, looking ahead of us, the future that we are awaiting is beyond imagination. We do not even have enough detail, but what we do have knowledge of is this incredible awareness of the beauty of the kingdom of God. The scriptures describe Christ as being completely victorious over sin and death, that we will get to experience a new heaven and a new earth where God dwells fully with man, and we're able to join together in eternal feasting, able to live in a state of complete and ultimate shalom. Looking in front of us is an exercise of faith. Richard Rohr says it this way, the theological virtue of hope is the patient and trustful willingness to live without closure, without resolution, and still be content and even happy because our satisfaction is now at another level and our source is beyond ourselves. What he's describing is the same picture that we see in Hebrews 11 of these heroes of faith. The writer, the author describing this, these these people of faith says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. These heroes of faith were looking for and saw something that they could not physically see. They were believing and anticipated future. And their imaginative faith produced a conviction of longing in them that even moved them into an uncertain future. So let me say that again. These heroes of the faith were looking for and saw something that they could not physically see. It was an anticipated future that they were believing in. And that imaginative faith produced in them a conviction of longing even as they moved into an uncertain future. See, faith is not about striving for certainty. That's where I think we often get faith wrong. Faith is not about striving for certainty. It's about striving to remain faithful in the midst of uncertainty. See, we exercise this faith by imaginatively embracing God's promises as a substantial reality, believing that what he said will ultimately come true. This belief, this faith then, creates a conviction that it will be so. And that conviction then motivates us to act in ways that we hope will bring about what we have imaginatively envisioned. Right? That's what Habakkuk is doing. He's driven by this kind of faith. And in spite of the internal and external pressures, the anxiety, the fear, the worry that he is experiencing, he's looking ahead and believing, just as the text says, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That is the vision that all of us should be imagining that the earth will one day be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
Now, our third and final step is to look at the present. So we look at the past and remember God's faithfulness. We look at the future and believe and have faith at the imagined kingdom come where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And our third step is to look at the present. Verse 19 says this, God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Now, this word picture is amazing. It's a description of a sure-footed animal, uh, maybe a deer. Uh, I like to think of it as an ibex. Um, this, this amazing animal that is undeterred by seemingly impassable terrain. Right. Likewise, it is a picture of us as people having sure-footed reliance on God in the midst of difficulty. So he says, hind feet in high places, meaning sure-footing or a resting posture. If you're on your hind feet, you're just hanging out, just chilling on the side of a vertical cliff. And then high places, meaning living above the circumstances. That even if the worst happens... If we keep faith and stay faithful, we can trust God will give us the ability to navigate the rocky terrain. So how do we get there? I think the answer is in verse 19, when Habakkuk says, God, the Lord, is my strength. Now, this echoes a passage in Hebrews that states, so we can say confidently that the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me. Now, the answer to that we know is nothing. The Lord is our strength. He is our helper. We have no need to fear, no need for anxiety, because what can man do to me? What can circumstances do to me? The answer is nothing. But at the same time, I feel like when we say that, it seems a little bit cliche. That just remember God is strong, God is strength, God is there for you, God is faithful. Right? It's easy for us to pawn this off as just a simple expression. But part of why I think we sometimes feel that way is because we have truly forgotten who God is. If you think about God as a heavenly father for a moment, and then think about your father, why do children who are afraid of monsters under their bed or in their closet want to check on them and ask a dad to come along and hold their hand? Why do kids who are afraid of the dark willfully walk into a dark room holding their dad's hand? Why do kids who fear water jump into a pool when dad's standing nearby to catch them? Because there's this clear understanding to all children, whether they can express it or not, that dad is bigger and more powerful than anything they might fear. That God is, or in this case, dad is, bigger and more powerful than anything they might fear. Now, I acknowledge that maybe for some of you, this wasn't your father. Maybe it was a teacher, a coach, a mentor, a friend. It may have even been your mother. It does not matter if you relate more to God as the sacred feminine. The point remains our understanding of God radically adjusts our understanding of fear. 
it radically adjusts our anxiety, our worry. And this is true of us. It is our forgetting that God is present, that he loves us deeply, that he is bigger and more powerful than anything that we might fear. That is what perhaps we've forgotten. And so, yes, we are in a weird time. Yes, we are like Habakkuk facing an amazing amount of internal and external pressure, which in our world is creating a staggering amount of anxiety. It is true. And that is big news. But the bigger story, the more, more vast reality, and the more gracious outcome is that we can believe in faith the truth that one day the earth will be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. As we look behind us at God's faithfulness, as we look ahead of us and see the imagined future, and as we look at the present, knowing that God is our strength in times of challenge, it allows us to say with confidence the famous words of Julian of Norwich. Julian is a Christian, Christian mystic who lived between 1342 and 1416 and is credited with the first written book by a woman in the English language. Her most famous line of her writing is this, and I will end with her words. All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Amen. Lord Jesus, send us out with confidence to speak of your saving acts and glorify your name. Father, in your power we were created, and by your love we are redeemed. Strengthen us today by your Spirit that we may live this day in love to one another and to you. In every circumstance and situation, in all we have and do, when you are near, when you feel afar, in our work and our play, while doing justice and loving others, help us to serve you, trust you, glorify you, and live for you. Enable us to honor you in thought, word, and deed. We pray this in the powerful name of God and through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.